This morning, I am going to bring you what perhaps is the most unorthodox Christmas, uh, Easter rather, Easter message that you have ever heard. I say that merely to explain and not to apologize in any way. During this last week, when I was preparing my mind for this morning and uh, spending those many, many hours on the airplane with plenty of time to think, and uh, since then, the, the text that I want to bring to you is one that is being preached on all over the country, all over the world today, but perhaps with a very different slant. It's in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, and verse 6. The angels said to the ladies, to the women at the open tomb, He is not here. That is the text. He is not here. It was three days earlier that Jesus Christ had died on Golgotha. Three days earlier, they had carefully taken his body down from the grave and had laid it in the, down from the cross and had laid it in the grave of Joseph of Arimathea. And now, on the third day, they had come some of his very faithful, loving followers had come to anoint his body. This was the last time they would look upon it. For Jewish law and custom said that they were not allowed to look upon the body of a corpse after three days. For when the fourth day came, decomposition had already set in. Corruption was already doing its work. And so they had come on the third day to anoint the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to their surprise, they were met with some angels. And the angels said, He isn't here. My, how surprised they were. They had been with the men who had laid him there three days ago. Now they were told, He isn't here. Now, with that as the backdrop, I want us this morning to go on a little Bible safari and find out one or two other or two or three other places where men were surprised to learn that God was not where they thought God was. God was not where they thought God was. And again, it is not a lesson from history that I am mainly concerned with today. It is those of us who are sitting here, this church and a thousand others. Do you think it can be said of us today? Do you think it can be said of churches all over the land? He is not here. Do you think it can be said of those who once followed the Lord Jesus Christ? He is not here. It is using these things, I say, as a backdrop, but really it is you I am talking about and this church and other churches. What a sad thing it is that so many will go through their Easter ceremony today without God being there. The first instance I want to bring to you is from the Old Testament. It is in the book of Exodus, Chapter 33, 
Moses had been up on the mountain with God and now had come down from the mount only to find that the people of Israel, who only weeks earlier had been delivered from the slavery of, uh, of Egypt, only to find that they were, after having built for themselves a calf, a golden calf, that they were dancing in all kinds of sin and sensuality around this calf, giving to it the praises for having delivered them from the land of Egypt. Listen to what God said to Moses in verse 3 of chapter 33 of Exodus. I will not go up in the midst of thee. What an amazing thing to say. It was only weeks ago that this same nation had come from the tyranny and the slavery of Egypt. It was only weeks ago that they had crossed the Red Sea and they had sung their song of praise to God as Miriam and the other ladies led them in their timbrels and dancings. It was only weeks ago that they had set up their altar and had made their commitment to the Lord God Jehovah. And now God was saying, I am not among them. I am not there. He wasn't there. Now, chapter three, 33 of Exodus follows chapter 32. And in chapter 32, there are two words that stand out very clearly. One of them is the golden calf, and the other one is the dancing. It was, I say, only weeks ago that they had given their voices to praise in God. Hardly had their voice of commitment died out, and now they were dancing in their shame around this golden calf, and a different song was filling the air. Standing high on its pedestal was the golden calf. Miriam's tambourine rang out, and the voices of the people sang, but they sang a new song. The song of holiness, the song of worship, and the song of praise that had taken up their energy just a few weeks ago had now given way to the choreography of Egypt. And they were dancing as they had learned to dance back there and singing as they had learned to sing back there. My, what a different, what a different uh, seen there was. Oh yes, plenty of religious activity. For what they, are do, what they were doing was religious. It was part of the, uh, the religious activity of Egypt. Plenty of singing, plenty of dancing, plenty of tambourines and timbrels, but no presence of God. And I cannot help but think, as we sit here this Easter Sunday, you see, the Israel of the Bible, the Israel of the Old Testament, Israel is Israel and the church is the church, but the Israel of the Old Testament is a type of the church. And it must be said of us in our day that there is no shortage of programs. Programs bend our backs. 
There is no room on our calendars for the events that are being planned. Plenty of banner waving, plenty of foot tapping, plenty of orchestras, plenty of choirs, and indeed, all these things in themselves are very, very good. As long as they do not take the place of the presence of God. Don't let's think that because we've got a lot of shouting and a lot of foot tapping and a lot of tambourining and a lot of banner waving, that that automatically means that God is here. Here they were going through their religious exercise with their golden calf and God said, Moses, I'm not among them. Is it possible, do you think, is it possible that in our experience, in our church, never mind about others, that the golden calf has taken or is taking the place of the bleeding lamb? Oh, it's not very popular to talk about the bleeding lamb. Men say, we don't want the blood, we'd rather have the gold. It's far more attractive to talk about the gold. It's far more attractive to dance around the golden calf. After all, the Bible says of Jesus that there is, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is beaten and bruised, rejected and despised. No, it isn't very easy. It isn't very popular to talk about the bleeding lamb. It's far rather, it's far easier to have our hands dripping with gold than dripping with blood. And the gospel of the last few years has been a very convenient gospel. And slowly but surely, where once the lamb was all the glory, now the calf has replaced it. Don't let's ever mistake the shouting, the singing, the waving, the dancing for the presence of God. For in it all, God was not there. The Apostle Paul, following on this theme, said to the Romans, if you don't have the Spirit of Jesus in you, despite whatever else you may have, if you don't have the Spirit of Jesus in you, then you are none of His. I've told you a story, I think, before, uh, some years ago, it was on a Sunday night, and I was standing here, and there, were, there was a whole row full of boys and girls here on the front row. And we were singing some of our lighter music songs, and uh, they were standing there right in front of me, and their hands were up. They were like two little cherubs praising the Lord and singing these lovely choruses. And then I think that by accident, one of them must have stepped on the other one's toes. And in a split second, this beautiful little girl, she was ready to eat her. Yeah. Don't let's mistake all our clapping and singing and tambourining and dancing for the presence of God. If the Spirit of Jesus isn't in you, you are none of His. The Apostle Paul said, you who think that you stand. Remember, he didn't say those of you who stand. He says, those of you who think that you are standing, you take heed 
lest you fall. It was a long time ago in the Old Testament. Israel were fighting the Philistines. And the tabernacle, the tabernacle was the presence of God. And when Moses came down the mount that day, and they were singing and dancing around this calf, Moses removed the tabernacle from the congregation and put it some distance away. They were going through their religious exercises, but the tabernacle was not there. The presence of God wasn't there. It was somewhere else, outside the camp. And Moses said, who is on the Lord's side? Let him leave the camp with all its religious fervor and let him come and follow me. Now, inside that tabernacle, the tabernacle itself is the symbol, the type of the presence of God, but inside the tabernacle, right in the inside of the inside, there was a, an ark, not the ark of, of Noah, there was the ark of the covenant. And when Israel went into battle, they followed the ark of the covenant, uh, and one time they were fighting the Philistines, and they were sadly beaten, and they said, it's because we don't have the ark. Let's get the ark. And they took the Ark of the Covenant without any repentance of sin on their part, and they carried the Ark before them into battle to get beaten worse than they were the day before. 36,000 of them died that day, and of the 36,000, there were two who were the sons of the high priest, Eli. Eli was sitting on a bench on a mountainside in Israel, waiting for news of the battle. And the courier comes and says, he asks how the battle goes. And the courier says, High priest, we have been badly beaten. 36,000 of our men are dead. And your two sons are dead with them. And dear old Eli was so shocked by the news that he tumbled back off his bench. And in the tumble, he broke his neck. And then a few minutes later, he was dead. And as he died, and his daughter-in-law gave birth prematurely to a little baby, they said, call the baby's name Ichabod, for the glory of the Lord has departed. There is nothing automatic in the blessing of God. Amen. There is nothing automatic in the presence of God. Israel only weeks earlier, coming out of the slavery of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, and looking how God had destroyed the enemy, took their tambourines and put on their dancing shoes, and sang and praised and worshipped the Lord. The Bible says, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song. You can read the song in Exodus chapter 15. And Israel, I say again, only a few weeks later, God was saying, Moses, tell them I'm not there. Let me tell you another story. It's in the book of Judges. When the judges ruled, every man did that which was right in his own sight, and Israel had committed sin. And for 40 years, the Philistines oppressed Israel. There was a girl there, there was a woman there who could not have children. And God touched her, and she gave birth to a little boy. I'll tell you his name. It was Samson. 
Listen to what the Bible says of Samson in the last verses of Judges 13. And the woman bare a son and called his name Samson, and the child grew. Listen to this. And the Lord blessed him. Now the next verse. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. This is the story of Samson, born of Manoah's wife, born miraculously by the touch of God. He grew up to be a Nazarite. Now, a Nazarite is not a Nazarene. A Nazarene, as Jesus was, was someone born in Nazareth. Jesus was not a Nazarite. A Nazarite is a man who lives under a vow of first not shaving his hair, second not drinking any strong drink, and third not touching a dead body. And Jesus did not. He, he, he was not part of that. But Samson was. He grew up not having his hair cut. He grew up not touching strong drink. He grew up not touching a dead body. And the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. And for 20 years... Samson judged or ruled in the land of Israel. I want us to talk a little bit about Samson. There is a verse in the 16th chapter, and in verse 20 it says, And Samson wist not that the Lord departed from him. Now I'm talking about a man who was looked upon with such admiration and pride. Samson has never yet been equaled in his uh, feats of strength. He did it not because of physical physique. He did it because of the anointing of the Holy Ghost. He, uh, he ruled Israel for 20 years. He was blessed of God. And he was anointed of the Lord. And in all this time... He was living a life that was displeasing to God. And one morning he woke, as he had awakened every other morning, he awoke to go about his daily duty. He sat up on his bed and shook himself and discovered, much to his surprise, that the Lord had left him. Now, I want us to look into the life of Samson for a while, not to find fault, just to learn, not to be negative, just to learn. Number one, Samson was a man of uncontrolled passion. Listen to what it says in chapter 14 of the Judges, in verse 1. Now, he saw a woman down in Timnath who was a daughter of the Philistines. And listen to what he says concerning her in verse 2. Get her for me to wife. In verse 3, get her for me to wife. Samson, he didn't matter what boundaries he crossed. He didn't matter what laws he disobeyed. He didn't matter what God he turned his back on. Samson's passions were of such that no man, not even he himself, could, uh, could control them. He was a man, I say, of uncontrolled passions. He saw this woman... And despite everything to the contrary, he said, get her for me. And again, get her for me. His passion ruled his life. Number two, not only was Samson a man of uncontrolled passions, but he was a man who, uh, who practiced unlawful association with the enemy. I've already read to you. He said about this girl in Timnath, get her for me to wife. 
And in verse 3 of Judges chapter 14, his mother said, But Samson, you know that you ought not to marry this girl. You know that she belongs to the Philistines, and we are forbidden to marry or to give in marriage to, to, to Philistines. Samson, she's over the fence. She's the other side of the road. And Samson said, It doesn't matter to me what fence she's over. It doesn't matter what side of the road she's on. I want her to be my wife. But they said, Samson, you, you, and there was no reasoning with him. No reasoning. It didn't matter, I say, what laws he broke. It didn't matter what God he disobeyed. It didn't matter what side of the road he was walking on. His passions were of such an uncontrollable nature that he was willing to enter into illegal, unlawful association with the enemy. It made no difference to him. And number three, not only did he enter into this unlawful association, but he had an unrestrained pattern of indulgences. Get her for me, he says. And not only in the story of the girl from, uh, from Timnath, but his whole life was after this same pattern. Now, I'm not really talking about Samson at all. I'm talking about men and women who once knew the Lord Jesus. I should say to you that even in the time of Samson's uncontrolled passion, the Spirit of the Lord was still upon him. And I talk to people here today who have, uh, who have no, no concerns about who pays. You have no concerns about the, uh, what harvest might be reaped. All that matters is that your passions must be satisfied. It, it doesn't matter with whom you make your allegiance. The fact that the Bible says that we are not to be unequally yoked, and please don't think of that only in the sense of marriage. We are to be not to be unequally yoked, despite the fact that the Bible says that the love of the world is enmity, is at enmity with the love of God. Despite all that, it is becoming increasingly evident that the line of demarcation is less and less visible, and the church has, to an alarming degree, the church has opened its doors to the world. We sing the songs the world sings. We sing the songs like the world sings. And anybody who dares raise his voice against it is dubbed as some kind of a creature that ought not to be allowed to live any longer. The world has, despite the fact that Jesus died to make us so much different, the church has made itself so very, very much like the world, and we have become associated with the world and with, uh, with the things that are out of, uh, out of reach or should be out of reach. They are across the road. They are the other side of the fence. And Samson's unrestrained self-indulgence. Now, the Bible talks, the Bible talks like this. It talks about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Listen to Samson uh, in, 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 verse, in chapter 14 and verse 1. He saw the daughter of Timnath. In verse 3, he saw this, this woman. It was the lust of his eye. There was no blinkering to his eyes. His eyes had become so accustomed to wander on anything he saw. He was willing to indulge in the lust of the eye, the Bible says. And then the lust of the flesh. Listen to what it says again in chapter 14 and verse 3. In verse 3 and in verse 7, Samson says, Get her for me, for she pleases me. As long as a thing tastes good, as long as it feels good, how can a thing be so wrong when it feels so good? 
That's the uh, criteria by which we live. The lust of the flesh. And then the pride of life. Samson was willing to use the blessing of God. He was willing to use the Spirit of God that was upon him in order to control others. He would not be reasoned with. He would not be talked to. He was such a man who controlled everybody else. And after all, if they didn't listen to him, he could pick up their gates and walk away. If they didn't listen to him, he could get their animals and tie their tails together and set them on fire and send them to the cornfields. He could wreak havoc upon them if they didn't listen to him. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Now, it isn't the only case. Way back here in the beginning, in the third chapter of the book of Genesis, in chapter 3 and verse 6, listen to what it says. And when the woman, when Eve saw, number one, she saw the tree was uh, good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, and desired to make one wise, here we are, the lust of the eyes, it was good to look upon, pleasant to the eyes. The lust of the flesh, it was good for food. And uh, the pride of life, it, it, it made one wise. She, she fell for the lie of the devil. And here is Samson doing the same thing. And he went on. He ruled in Israel for 20 years. He went on doing this day after day, day after day. And one day, one morning... He decided that after an orgy the night before, he decided he would get up and live as he'd lived yesterday. And he wished not that God wasn't there. My dear friends, you don't have a handle on God. We must learn, and sometimes to our own pain and our own cost, we must learn that sin separates a man from God. You can't go on, listen, let Robert Owen listen to this and everyone else. You can't go on living a life of uncontrolled passions, doing what you want to do. You can't go on living a life of allegiance, of unlawful association with the world. You can't go on with unrestrained self-indulgences. You can't all the time go on. There is a moment that's going to come Israel, will you listen to me? You can dance around your golden calf. You can sing its praises. But remember, you must pay the price. Dance around your golden calf. But you can't have a golden calf and the tabernacle of the Most High God in the same camp. Listen, church, you listen to me. We cannot have the blessing of God and the golden calf in the same building. Listen to me, men and women. You can't live your life of uncontrolled passions, whatever it is. You can't live your life of unlawful uh, associations with the world, whatever they are. You can't live a life of unrestrained uh, self-indulgences, whatever you indulge in, and still continue year in, year out, under the blessing of God. One morning, Samson woke up and he said, I'll do what I did yesterday. And he didn't know. He didn't know that the Lord had left him. God wasn't there. He isn't here, they said to the women at the tomb. He isn't here, Moses said to the church or to, to, to Israel. He isn't here. Samson learned. 
You see, I told you that all the time he was in his unrestrained satisfaction of himself, unlawfully associating with the enemy all the time. He had still kept his vow. He hadn't cut his hair. He hadn't touched drink, strong drink. He hadn't touched a dead body. But you can't go on all the time. Listen to me, pulpit. Listen to me, pew. You can't go on all the time playing with fire without burning your fingers. And sooner or later, Samson's going to learn the sad lesson. For one night, as he slept with his head in the lap of Delilah, a Philistinian barber ran his razor through his head, through his hair. And Samson woke in the morning only to find that the Lord had left him. God says, my spirit will not always strive with man. Paul writes to the Galatians and says, don't you be see, don't you be deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. Samson, anointed of God from the day that he was born and before, Samson, growing up under the leadership and the power of the Holy Ghost, Samson, who had judged and led and ruled Israel for 20 years, woke up one morning to find that God wasn't there. Let me bring you another story from the Old Testament, uh, from the New Testament. Mary and Joseph, as their custom was, went down to Jerusalem from Nazareth for the feast of the Passover. And this year they took Jesus with them. He was 12 years of age. And I guess it was the year of his bar mitzvah. Now, Mary and Joseph had other children. Their names are in the Bible. That might shock you, but it's true. Their names are in the Bible. But Jesus was the first. And Jesus was not the product of Mary and Joseph. He was the Son of God, born of the Holy Ghost. Now he was 12 years of age, and the other children were younger. Joseph was still alive. He died, we understand, when Jesus was relatively young. And they went down to Jerusalem, and so they took Jesus, being 12 years of age, they took him with them. And after the celebration of the, uh, of the Passover, they went back home again. And they traveled a whole day. And when nighttime came, and the story is in the second chapter of the, uh, of the book of Luke, listen to what it says in verse 44. And when the evening came, they, supposing him to have been in the company, sought him among their kinsfolk. And when they, verse 45, and when they found him not, oh, what a shock it was for Mary and Joseph. They thought Jesus was there, and they looked for him. And when they found him not, he is not here. He wasn't with them. They thought he was. Now, I should say that Mary and Joseph were one of the loveliest couples you would ever meet. There is no golden calf in the life of Mary and Joseph. 
no sensuality in the life of Mary and Joseph. There is no uncontrolled passion in the life of Mary and Joseph. There is no uh, unlawful uh, uh, relationship with the enemy and with the world in the life of Mary and Joseph. There is no unrestrained, there is no pattern of unrestrained self-indulgence in the life of Mary and Joseph. No, no. Their mistake was they supposed that he was there. Their mistake was that which most people become guilty of who lose the presence of God. They took God for granted. They took Jesus for granted. And all day they traveled, going about their business, making their way north to Nazareth, up into Galilee, thinking that Jesus was with them all the time. One day in the Old Testament, there's a story in the second book of Kings in chapter 5 of Naaman. He came down to see the prophet Elisha in Israel. He was filled with cancer. I use that term. It, that's not the Bible, but it was. And uh, Elisha, without coming out to see him, said, tell him to go and bathe in the River Jordan. And Naaman got so, Naaman got so angry, he said, why in the world didn't he come and talk to me? He said, I thought, I thought, I thought Naaman was willing to die with cancer before giving up his suppositions and his thought. But had he not been persuaded otherwise, die he would have. They supposed, they supposed that he was in the group and he wasn't there. It's so easy to take God for granted. It's so easy to, well, we go to church every Sunday and we go through our religious ritual. It's so easy to go on our way through life just thinking that God is there. Here is Israel, the people, the chosen people of God. God said, Moses, tell them, I'm not there. You're Samson, the man anointed of God. And God said, tell him, I'm not there. And yes, Mary, the mother of Jesus and her husband, Joseph. And God says, tell him, Jesus isn't there. And God has told me to tell you this morning, this beautiful Easter Sunday, and I only tell you because God told me to tell you. It might well be in your life sitting here in the comfort of this church, singing the songs that we are singing, going through our Pentecostal way of worship, it may well be that I have to tell you that despite it all, God is not there. It's a sad thing to think that God is there and he isn't. God, they were so surprised when they learned that Jesus wasn't where they thought he was. I'm going to finish now, but I can't without bringing the postscript up. I told you that Moses shifted the tabernacle away from the camp. God wasn't there. But we come to Exodus chapter 40. And in Exodus chapter 40, Moses sets up the tabernacle, puts all the furniture in its place, and twice, lest we forget, twice, 
lest we slip over once, twice, in verse 34 and verse 35, in Exodus chapter 40, the Bible says that the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Hallelujah. Oh, thank God for the mercy of God. And Samson, in the 16th chapter, and in the uh, 20th verse, he wished not that the Lord wasn't there. But in the 22nd verse, it says, How be it, the hair of his head began to grow again. Glory to God. Thank God for the mercy of God. In verse 44 of Luke chapter 2, uh, Mary and Joseph, and in verse 45, they discovered that Jesus wasn't with them. But in verse 51, it says that he went with them and he came to Nazareth. He went with them. Praise God. I, I, I will not close without telling you that despite the fact that Israel lost the blessing of God, the mercy of God was such that when they came to build the temple and the tabernacle, rather, when they repented of their sin, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle again. And Samson's hair began to grow again and Jesus went with them down into Nazareth again. My dear friends, however far from God you may have wandered, thank God the way back home is still open. However deep into sin you may have sunk, thank God there's room at the cross for you. However however much you may have lost of the blessing of God, thank God he's here again this morning in mercy and in love and you can leave this church knowing that God is with you. There can be a restoration of the presence of God. There can be a restoration of the grace of God. There can be a restoration of the glory of God. Let this Easter, let this Easter bring you back into the presence of God again. Don't leave this church thinking that God is where God isn't. Leave knowing that God and you are close together. Let's stand for a minute.